And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Those are verses 42 to 47 of Acts chapter 2. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate that very much. We are uh, taking a look today at a sort of an enigmatic group of people. They were not particularly well-known. They were not identified by name anywhere in any of the Gospels. And, and they weren't very well-known or understood for a very, very long time. Only classical historians ever really talked about them because they were the only ones who had any evidence of them until something happened. And that something was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then we began to learn more and more about this enigmatic community that seems to have greatly influenced the early church. And this community is known as the Essenes. So those Essenes mostly lived out near where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Um, but they, they were not limited to that. They lived in a few other places before in some towns and things like that of their own. So they, they lived in their own places, and they were a separatist movement because they thought that the, what had gone on in Jerusalem had become hopelessly corrupt during the Hasmonean period, actually. Whenever they began to appoint the, the chief priests— then and the high priest particularly, then then these people said it's it's all corrupt. Now it's all politicized and we don't want any part of it. And so they separated away from it. And as I uh, go through some of the characteristics of the group, you'll see certain things and certain comparisons that are pretty easy to make. One of those is with monastic life. They lived very monastic lives. They lived communal lives. They, They lived in community. They lived for community. And so you can see it that way, but then you'll also see in their asceticism, even even beyond that, you'll see kind of the Quaker-Shaker sort of idea, that they were not quite sure about children, for instance, and, and, and in some places didn't allow marriage. And so you can see some of that Shaker sort of ideal to them, and, and it's partly because they were a um, an apocalyptic community. They, they sort of believed that um, soon— rather than later, God would come. The Messiah would come and, and the new uh, kingdom would begin. And, and they wanted to be prepared. And the way to be prepared for that was to separate yourself from everything that would defile you, including Judaism, because they thought it had been hopelessly defiled. And they were trying to show what a pure Judaism looked like. And so they devoted themselves to these things. The reason I read that passage from Acts 2 is you're going to see that, that some of the practices there are, are very similar to the things you see among the Essenes. So anyway, we didn't know much about them until the Dead Sea Scrolls came about, and, and then we began to learn things about them that separated them from other Jews as well. Um, and that is one of the things that they focused on very much with things like angels. They focused on, on what Michael Heiser called the unseen realm. But just because it's not seen doesn't mean it's not real, right? Um, we, we affirm that God created things seen and unseen in the creed. But do we believe that? Are we interested in that? And, and there are some people who are interested 
And then other people who have sort of a, a, a weird infatuation, not just fascination, but, but infatuation. They were the, been the people who preserved manuscripts of things like the Book of First Enoch, which I'll probably do a podcast on at some point in time, um, a series. It would be an extended series about what in the world is this book and how did it make its way into different passages in the New Testament, but then how did it influence the, the early church, but how did it also influence Second Temple Judaism? And that's the period we're talking about. Jesus is born into the period known as Second Temple Judaism. And so there that those apocalyptic literature like First Enoch influenced the messianic expectations of those people, and it spoke about some messianic expectations that we're going to talk about in a couple of days that had to do with things that they see needed to be fixed that we tend not even to see. They don't even enter our field of vision, and so we'll talk about that a little bit in a couple of days. But anyway, so today we're going to talk about the Essenes, and so what, is it, what does it mean? Well, it kind of comes from an Aramaic word called that, that means pious, and then, all right, Philo, who is a Greek historian, um, will say that it's, no, it, it's, it's from this Greek word, which also means piety. <laughs> so it's, it's all, it all fits in these same things. The Greek or the Hebrew equivalent would be Hasidim or the pious, or the faithful people. And, and the Hasidic groups are here today. They're the ones with the little pin curls that, that uh, always wear black suits and all that kind of stuff. They're the people most prominent in, in Jerusalem. Um, they are the religious ones. They are the pious ones. They're the ones most devoted to the study of the Word of God. And, and so they're, they're there today, and they would be similar to the Essenes in some ways. They, they seem to have come around during that period of time in the Hasmonean dynasty, somewhere around 160 to 143 B.C. That, that's when they kind of became separate. One of them greeted Herod, actually, as a future king when Herod was a boy. They were big into prophetic stuff, and they were quite good at it. Um, so th- this one greeted Herod as a boy, as a high priest. So Herod had pretty high regard for this group of people. And Archelaus, who was one of the rulers, who was one of, one of Herod's sons, um, he th- this one of them interpreted a dream for Archelaus in six A.D. So they're, they're, they they had influence, even though they were a separatist movement. So they they're, we're told about different places where they lived, in Engedi and Masada and out by the Dead Sea and all that. But one of the things that was characteristic was they had a, they had an open house policy for traveling Essenes. So if another Essene was coming to where you were, then then you were obliged for them to to stay with you, lodge with you, eat with you, all that kind of stuff. It to, but it was difficult to get in. It sounds like a very monastic sort of ritual um, to, to prove yourself worthy to be in the community. They, they brought you in in stages. So first, you lived outside the camp for a year with minimal provisions, and you followed the rules of discipline of the camp. So, so you were being purged of, separated from your old life, but not yet incorporated into the new one. So you, you had a period of trial— where you were there. If you remained faithful, then you could come near to the purification water, and then after two more years as a novitiate, you could take the oath and join the meal. So it's a three-year process to become a member of the Essene community. They're very careful about who they allowed in, and once you were in, you best not make a mistake because you're just booted out. And and then they didn't know, they, they were so attached to the community, they didn't didn't want to survive outside the community. It was it was a a, a powerful powerful thing, and they 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 did 
self-denial in all things. They tended to bathe in cold water in order to maintain purity and check their sexual impulses and things like that. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any luxuries, no pleasures of love with women. And they, they sought contentment in the Word of God and away in community and away from the world. They, whatever they made, they put into a common pot. And whatever you needed, you could take out of that common pot, just like the early church did. They had all things in common, remember? They sold possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So they took some of the practices of the Essenes and brought them into the new Christian community as early as right after Pentecost, because chapter 2 of Acts is Pentecost. And so this is immediately after that. And so they, they, used, they, they didn't make you wait three years to come in. You just had to make a profession of faith, and you could come in, and then you were taught. And you were raised up, and you were encouraged to follow these things. But they, they had glad and generous hearts with one another. They, they couldn't get enough understanding. And that was what it looked like in the early church. And I've certainly been in communities over the last 25 years where people couldn't get enough of the Word of God. They wanted to know more. They wanted to know more of God. They wanted to see more about the Holy Spirit. They wanted to know more about what it meant and and what power there was in the Holy Spirit in the church today. I've been in communities that, that were attractive in that way. And so I do understand that. Now, I've never been in a community and don't want to be in a community where we have everything in a common pot because I just see too many ways that can go badly, sort of like it did with Ananias and Sapphira. <clears throat> but anyway, they, they were generally also celibate, even though there's some exceptions to that. Philo, who is, again, the Greek historian, he affirmed that the Essenes banned marriage. Why? Here you go. Listen to this. Because women were selfish, jealous, deceitful, seducing and leading the sovereign mind into bondage to her and the care of her children. So that tells you something about their attitude towards women, doesn't it? So they, they, they banned, he says they banned marriage. Now Josephus disagrees with that because Josephus understands something about the Jewish mind that's different from the, sort of the ideal Stoic mind of, of uh, Greco-Roman thought. And so Josephus says, no, 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 marriage was important for the continuation of the race. Therefore, there were Essenes that married and had sexual intercourse, but only for the purpose of procreation. And, and the reason that that would be a, a Jewish mind rather than a, um, a, a Greek mind is, is that, that Jews understood that they had to keep the commandment. And the commandment was to be fruitful and multiply. That was the very first thing God enjoined upon the people. And so to a Jewish mind, it, it wouldn't have made any sense to be like the Shakers, for instance, were here in, in America, because they, they were not keeping a central commandment of Judaism, which was to be fruitful and multiply. So, so it's, it's most likely that Josephus got it right. Um, Philo was was trying to fit them more into a, a Greek ideal of Stoicism rather than a, a Hebrew ideal, and they, and they were profoundly Hebrew in their orientation. They, they did lots of virtuous deeds. They could ease, Jesus, when he told the story of the Good Samaritan, could easily have made that person an Essene. It had a greater impact by making it somebody they hated, the Samaritan, but, but an Essene could easily have fit that bill, and it would have made perfect sense to everybody there. It didn't make sense, and it was a jarring impact whenever Jesus changed that and made it 
a, a Samaritan instead. They did a lot of virtuous deeds. They cared deeply for one another, provided for one another, and all that kind of stuff. Th- their ideal was virtuous deeds, and so their righteousness was pretty much beyond compare. And their their main concern was they wanted to avoid any kind of immortal punishment. So they, they wanted to make sure, because they believed in the perseverance of the soul and the immortality of the soul, they wanted to make sure they didn't do anything to defile that or anything that would, that would uh, call into question their eternal reward. So a good portion of their time was spent every day repeating a vow, which was said before eating as a constant reminder of their dogma. They vowed piety to God, justice to man, hatred of the wicked, and love for the just. They also promised to love the brethren, love truth, conceal nothing from one another, and reveal nothing to outsiders. So it's a, it's a secret society in, in so many ways. But, but the way that they lived w- was very much a monastic sort of life. They would have common meal together in the morning. They would have prayers in the morning. And then they would go and work diligently. They were very diligent workers. They continued to do their, operate, their, their previous occupations when they came into the community, but they were no longer doing it for material gain because whatever they made from it actually just went into the common pot. They weren't doing it for self-aggrandizement or wealth or any of those kinds of things. No, they were doing it for the benefit of the community. Everything they did was done so that the community itself would prosper, so they would work for a period of time during the day. They'd come back for another communal meal, have some more teaching, and then go back to work for a while longer, have the evening meal, have some more worship time and, and community time. It very much sounds like life in in a monastery, even today. It's a very, very similar kind of an idea. But they they were devoted to that that vow, piety to God, justice to man, hatred of the wicked, love for the just, love the brethren, love the truth, conceal nothing from one another, and reveal nothing to outsiders. They were scribes and prophets. They studied and interpreted the scriptures, the, the books that they wrote within, which is the, some of the stuff in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and the names of angels. These were things that fascinated them more than, more than the, the run-of-the-mill Jewish person of the day, and it's largely because they were an apocalyptic community. They did believe the end was coming soon and that God was going to restore the fortunes of Israel, and they wanted to be the, the ones who were truly prepared for God, which is... Our goal during this season of Advent, and it's exactly what John the Baptist said his mission was. So people associate John with the Baptist because what he says he is is a voice in the wilderness proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what the Essenes saw themselves as. And they wanted to make sure that the community was as pure as it could possibly be. So they were careful about who came into that community. They also did things like healing and so it, 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 with roots and stones for protection and things like that. And they were experts, it says, at foreseeing future events. So they, they, were, they, were, they understood the times, right? So they, they understood what was going on. Because they were separated from it, they had a unique perspective that, that, that wasn't influenced by their own commitments, because they were not committed to any of this. They, they were unique in the sense that they were truly looking for the coming of the Messiah and nothing else. They didn't involve themselves in politics. They were Anabaptists in some ways. If you don't know what an Anabaptist is, then it's a Mennonite or, or, or anybody in that vein is an Anabaptist. And those people don't get involved in politics. They don't vote. They don't serve on juries. They don't do any of those kinds of things. So they have a unique perspective because they're not invested in that that 
ordinary daily thing that other people are interested in. And so they had a unique perspective and were able to see the future in a different way because they had distanced themselves from those things. They had no personal investment in them. They're only looking at those things in order that they can see the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So they, they also worshiped in obedience to the law. They were in disagreement over the sacrificial system in Jerusalem it, for one of two reasons. One is because the priesthood, they thought, had become corrupted once they started being appointed outside the religious structures. And then the second thing is they followed a solar calendar of the Jubilees where, where everything would have been on the same day every single year. So in other words, Veterans Day, uh, which is actually happens to be the day that I'm doing this <laughs> podcast, so about, you know, I'm a month ahead. So that, that Veterans Day is always going to come on November the 11th, right? And so, you know, th- there are other holidays that come on November the 11th, but some of them fall on a Monday, right? They're always on a Monday. And in the same way in the Jewish calendar, some things fall on the Sabbath and other things are always on the same day every year. But because it's a lunar calendar and it has to be adjusted from time to time because of that, because you've got a 28-day month, but then you've got a 365-day year, so it gets a little weird. So things change. But the, these people chose those other days. And, and Paul will talk about that, right? Because Paul will say, don't get into those arguments over festivals and when things happen and all that kind of stuff. And that's what the Essenes did. They separated themselves partially because of they believed that calendar was sacrosanct. They believed that it should be that way, period, end of sentence. And so that they didn't like the sacrificial system in Jerusalem because they thought the priests weren't worthy to offer it and that they were doing it at the wrong times. So they sent offerings of money to the temple but not sacrifice. They did those on their own. They did the sacrificial system there, in their community, since their customs of purification were different. So they also had very strict discipline. If you got caught in a grave fault, you were expelled from the camp. And you often died of starvation because they were so connected to and embedded in that community and so bought into the idea that they are the true Judaism that to be separated from that community was essentially a death sentence for many people because you ran out of hope if you were separated from that community. Occasionally, they would take somebody back in who was at the point of death that they knew about because they said that they had undergone a purgation for their sins and they could be brought back into the community. But but there was no appeal process. Their decision, decisions were completely irrevocable. Now, the other side of that is they really cared for their own people and for those in need. The sick, the elderly, travelers, anybody in need were provided for out of the common purse. And and as a result, this is odd, many of them lived to be at least 100 years old. That's the power of community. The power of community, and that's a close community. It's a community unlike uh, almost any that you're going to find in this world, but but that power of caring for one another and knowing that you're cared for and you can depend on others to care for you it, it, it is incomparable, and it's the way we're intended to live. And I wonder if maybe that's the reason the early church didn't see the power of that community and the love of that community and decide that some of those principles need to be brought in and done, and then you get sin like Ananias and Sapphira withholding some of the proceeds of the sale of property, and then their death, and then we don't ever hear about that stuff ever again. 
But they also, the other thing is, they were able to endure the persecutions of Rome. Why is that? Because the glory of death was better than capitulating. So that they were the, the, the class of people in Judaism who most accepted martyrdom. And that also then inspired the early church because we believe that the blood of the martyrs is the, is the wellspring of the church because they were, we're, we're imitating our Savior. When we say, you know, you can have my life. Like, I'm not going to fight back. on. If you want to take my life, then take it. Because I, I live to the glory of Christ. I die to the glory of Christ. And by my willingness to lay down my life, what I'm showing you is I believe with all my heart in the truth of resurrection. So these Essenes have, have much to be admired in the Essene community. There, there's much there to be admired in them. And I do believe that the early church took on some of their um, habits and some of their um, uh, ways of life, largely because they were admired at that time.